Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. I hope you've had a great week. I have. And I hope you've been catching up on all the podcasts. There's been lots of people that I've had recently. And uh, I think last week it was Ashley uh, who talked about her time on The Bachelor Australia and also being involved in a cult in Europe. And some of the feedback on that is really good. So I hope you enjoyed that one. We also had Nexium, the cult of Nexium, a couple of months ago now. That was a, a really eye-opening one. And what happened to Sarah Edmondson while she was in the cult was fascinating. So if you haven't heard that one yet, go back and have a listen to that. Today I have for you from MC Counseling, it's Mike Carroll, who is an addiction specialist. And we actually did a live on Instagram around about the 20th of March. So if you want to go and see us in action, the Instagram handle is life underscore changes you underscore podcast, and you can have a look at the video there. Um, So hello, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, Dan. Great to be back with you again. This is awesome. Lots of fun. It's really good. After I spoke to you in the live, I just thought I have to get this guy on. We have to record a podcast because your life is interesting, full of ups and downs, and you were so open and honest about what you spoke about in the live. So I thought, look, this is someone I really want to speak to. And I think the audience will really enjoy your story, be inspired by your story and empathize with your story. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. So at the moment, you've got your own alcohol and drug counselling service. Correct. Yeah. So it's an addiction and mental health counselling service. It was never meant to be online. It was never meant to be global, but that's what a pandemic does to you, doesn't it? When you decide to open up a business four days before Victoria, Australia goes into lockdown. And I was like, that beach counselling concept, that's out the door. And then I was like, oh, maybe I just give up. And then it's like, no, I didn't. I got onto Instagram, which I'd never done before and thought, well, how can we redo this? Let's maybe go with the online thing, knowing that people want to be in the same room when we're counselling. They don't want to be on a video screen, but hey, it's amazing what two years can do. Hey, Dan. Zoom is incredible. And I think I said to you at the time, when I first found out about Zoom, didn't know what it was. And I was finding it hard to find podcast guests. Once I started on Instagram and then learned how to use Zoom, now I'm speaking to people all over the world. And it's like, before that, I was always thinking, oh, who can I get in the studio? Now (laughs) it's international. We don't have to worry about that. Although you're only about three hours away from me, aren't you? That's And this is good because normally that would be a long way away for, for someone, but no, that's right, three, three and a half hours depending on how well you're driving. I know. Imagine if I'd said to you, okay, I need to meet you in the studio. We can't do it over Zoom. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, we could, we could organise a time and, and it would have been, it would have taken forever. And just those ways of being able to organise ourselves in the past compared to now and just prior to not being able to see people were seeing people face-to-face. And that was great, but actually looking back on it, it it didn't do anything for the back pocket. (laughs) That's for sure. So were you going to have counselling sessions on the beach? Correct. So I was like, okay, I've got so much out of living in Seaspray because I moved to Seaspray, which is on 
the 90 mile beach in Gippsland, Victoria. And that's, that covers lakes entrance, um, golden beach, and it's huge, you know? So it's one of the three uninterrupted beaches in the world, which is just, just absolutely spectacular. And I am a Pisces. So connecting me astrological. Thank you. (laughs) Astrologically. Yeah. Um, that, that all fits in, you know, and then living in sea spray too, where you're able to actually see the moon, see the stars and, it's the one certain point which basically means that there's not much light so you can actually see the stars the best on this side of the world so it's like just amazing to be down here and then I'm like imagine like whenever I had friends that came down to see me they'd tell me all these things on the beach like I'm like I've known you for years and 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 I'm like well let's do counseling like this maybe it would be a better way to be able to get people to be comfortable because, yeah. you know, in counselling the first couple of sessions, you know, you're really trying to get information out of a client so you can help them. And, you know, depending on obviously everyone's different, but that they, they don't really want to, to say much. It's hard to, to get that information. So making it as easy as possible. And then we went to zoom and it's like, well, they're in their own lounge room, their own bedroom, their own, you know, house, and they feel confident anyway to be yes, able to get yes. and talk about and I, I think that's a great thing because when people have to go into a clinical style setting of a room with a couple of chairs, a glass of water, a box of tissues, you know, and then you've got to sit down and you've got to start telling someone about your life. When you're in your room, you know, you can pick up other things while you're chatting. You can look around the room. So you are a lot more comfortable. I do know that in the First year of of lockdown, a friend of mine in the UK in Bournemouth, he actually started doing nature walks with his clients because he wasn't allowed to have them in his front office. So they would go and walk through the woods and stuff and have a chat and then get back to the thing. He said the only thing that was bad about it was after he'd done eight walks in a day, he was absolutely exhausted because, you know, he had to take each person out, go for an hour walk with them, come back, take the next one out. <laughs> He's physically as well as mentally exhausted. Let's take you to the next level. I love yeah. it. <laughs> so at least you were able to stay in your warm room and talk to them over Zoom. <laughs> That's right. As long as the sea spray internet was working and um, there is ADSL 2 plus here. So it wasn't that good to start off with, but, but that's okay. We move on and, and we, we got it working and it was lots of fun and to be able to, to meet yourself and to lots of other people right across the world, obviously being on a social media platform such as Instagram was amazing. And the learning that went through that was just phenomenal. And the friends that I've met, you know, like your podcast, I would love to be able to, to, to actually visit those people and do like a, because mine's removing addiction and healing mental health, do like a removing addiction on tour. You know, and we go to all those different countries and look at addiction, look at mental health. But that, that's something else <laughs> other than the, what we're talking about with the business. But it's really nice to be able to meet those people and to have that connection, you know, every day. And yes, when connection during COVID was so difficult and we had to find out other ways to be able to connect that maybe to a lot of people, you know, weren't that comfortable, especially video conferencing or video calls. Well, I guess there's also that sort of techno fear, isn't there? If you're like us, like when it first happened, I didn't know anything about Zoom. I was scared about starting Zoom. What if I make a mistake? So imagine if you're someone who's got anxiety, who wants to talk to you and they've got to try and work out how to set up a Zoom call, you know, it adds a lot more to what they've got to go through before they actually speak to you. Oh, without a doubt. And the benefit now is that with such a huge weight to see uh, people 
So if we're talking from Australian point of view on a mental health treatment plan with 10 to 20 sessions, well, the wait to see that psychologist or that psychiatrist is so long. That wait is ridiculous, but it does mean that, you know, you can find alternative means that you probably will have to pay for. However, they could be anywhere, anywhere in the world. And depending on what service you're actually after in this situation, we say counseling and an addiction, it actually works well because if you were to have an addiction practice, you've almost got to have one door and then a separate exit door so people don't see each other because they might know each other. it, it, It helps with a lot of things. And I think going forward to have telehealth as part of what we do in Australia, it makes, I mean, you're in in Metro, I'm in regional. It makes the regional areas means that we see more clients, patients, depending on on, on how you refer to your people as. And that is just a, a bonus. And it's also meant that generally across the board, all services that waited for somebody to come and see them that now have telehealth available have actually got their numbers up. Yeah. Um, because it's not people having to travel, especially in Gippsland where public transport is, is atrocious. And if you don't have your own car, you know, and obviously it's not safe if you're, if you're using drugs or alcohol to, to be driving, it, it means it's, it's just got a whole lot better, which is fantastic. One thing there you were saying about uh, doing all the online stuff, have you found that you get anyone from overseas? Because I was thinking like, you know, if we're opposite to the UK, we're awake while they're asleep. If someone over there is having an issue during the night and there's no one they can contact, they could reach out to people like you who are on call because you're during the day. That's exactly it. And and with my clients, you know, I set up MC counselling to be wasn't there when I needed the services and being a lived experienced advocate as well as a registered counsellor with the Australian Counselling Association. It means that I've actually been in a system that I didn't think was working. And when I say a system, I mean the free system, the system that people go to most of the time have a bad experience, feel that there's no hope for them, but don't understand that there are different services that can help them depending on what they need help with. Because, you know, when it comes to addiction, no one knows a lot about it until somebody's got a problem. Yeah. And addiction or mental health, as you know very well, is is stigmatised in this country and in many other countries too. And it's probably because of the pandemic that we're actually looking more favourably towards improved mental health and also helping people with addiction and helping people with issues that they've had for, for a long time but we're, we're giving more time to. Or maybe I'm just being being too positive about this, but but that's the way I'm looking at it. It is good to be positive. I know uh, speaking to people in the UK, it's usually about three months to see a mental health worker through their national health service, and that is an online CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy session, and then to actually meet someone in person, you could be waiting six months. Wow. Yeah, that's about, yeah, that's about right. And that is one thing I should bring up too, with Medicare here in Australia, it is only CBT that you can have as part of that treatment plan if you do uh, need counselling and your GP gives you that. And that's something that we don't actually often, often go back to. Whereas with myself, I offer lots of different types of therapy depending on the client that I, that I see, yep. incorporating personal development life coaching and really helping that person, depending on the level of addiction, depending on what else has been, has has suffered, because that's what normally happens with addiction. Things go out the window, whether it's friendships, whether it's work, whether it's family. And so it's putting that all back together 
or recreating a better life than, than what they had before. And that's where I, I believe that the world needs to go. We need to change what we've done for so long with, with the free system, which is in essence, AA or the 12 step program, the 12 step module, um, 12 step AA, GA, NA meetings, all of that stuff. And really it, it's like, it, it all comes down to mindset, Dan. So we don't go out wanting to use drugs or alcohol to excess, but we do find that that's been the answer to a problem that we've got. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's looking at answering that problem or finding a better solution to that problem that once upon a time, having a few cones of pot, having a few lines of Coke, having a couple of E's resolve that problem. But then as it goes on and on, like anything, any addiction that we have, whether it's chocolate or sugar or whatever, it doesn't have the same effect until we use more and more. Yeah. And then it just, as we know, holds us as opposed to um, does anything for us. And then to leave it is seems almost foreign and, 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 and we can't do it. So it basically depends on how far that person needs that help as to how far we delve into the past and, and what needs to happen to be able to lead. What I say, my big slogan is, live your best life. It's just that a lot of times we have issues because of other things that have gone on in our lives. We haven't been able to, to live that best life. And instead of that, other issues have come up and we haven't been able to, to really experience that. And especially when drugs come into the picture, pretty much most things go out after a while. I, I wanted to pick up on a couple of points because you said CBT is the one that the government will or a, a GP will subsidise. Uh, the thing is with cognitive behavioural therapy is it's a great therapy and it works for a lot of people, but there's also a lot of people out there it doesn't work for mm -hmm. um so then we need things like person-centered therapy solution therapy narrative therapy you know there's so many therapies out there now and it's not a one person fits one box there's lots of different ways that we need to bring therapy to the person or the person to actually go actually that's working for me you know and if you're just constantly pumping cbt there would be quite a few people who would come in and go well that doesn't work for me because cbt as well you've actually got to go away and think about the things that you've learned and put them into practice whereas some of the other ones are like solution focused probably the easiest one i think with most people because they come to you you work on a solution there it's done if it's a more traumatic experience or something that needs a lot more unraveling then some of the other therapies are better, but they're going to be more long-term. Cognitive behavioral therapy can jump in and snap that small thing that's going wrong and change that. But then there must be other things that need to be sorted out as well. So we can make a pretty much an instant change, but then there are other things still needed to be worked on. And you would also find that some people who came and had that CBT and you made that little change would go, I don't need to work on anything else now. That's fine. That's all I need. And that's up to them. You know, we can't force people to come in and sit down and talk to us for 10 weeks or five weeks. But yeah, it's, it's working out what therapies work. And I guess it's working out what the governments can fund, what the governments have looked at and gone, well, actually, this therapy works well too. It depends who's advising them. Mm. Um, you know, because governments, you know, I know we think, oh, well, they just go, that's all we're giving out. But there is a lot of consultation behind the scenes with different departments like the Australian Counselling Association to find out what's going on, what the best ways, what best methods to work with people. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to also bring up with mental health and addiction, some people who would get an addiction 
could be people who have undiagnosed bipolar, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety. So they're medicating to make themselves feel better and they don't actually even know that they have a mental health issue. They just know that smoking some ice or having a line of Coke or having some pot is something that will calm them down or if they're using like speed or ice, it's something that sort of speeds them up so they're not thinking in that same pattern that they were before. Oh, my God, my life's so awful. I hate myself. You know, it changes the dynamic in their brain. So someone like that to go into an addiction is quite an easy pathway, isn't it? Oh, without a doubt. Hmm. Because you're taking something to make yourself feel better and then you actually feel better until you crash and then you've got to look at why you are like you are, what the issues are. And as we know, people are very good at being able to hide certain drugs from people for many, many years. I mean, it's not so they come out and say, how hey, I've got a problem with this. I really need some help or I'm getting help or, or, or some tragedy happens. Uh, unfortunately, I hate even saying that, but that is, you know, that, that is the, the realist part of it, isn't it? At the end of the day, because if we can hide something and no one knows it's going on, no one can help us either. I know we're talking about addiction as in drugs and alcohol and things like that. But it's amazing how many people are addicted to coffee, addicted to smoking, addicted to, I don't know, eating lollies, drinking Coke, all these different addictions. And some of them we just accept and they might not still be good. I guess what I'm getting to is a small addiction can lead to a bigger addiction without you even realising you're doing that. Smoking cigarettes has been, well, I don't know if it's still acceptable now, but mm-hmm. at 15, most kids have a puff on a cigarette. I would say some people carry on smoking and, you know, it's our generation that will probably end the smoking. I'm thinking about the times when I see young people standing outside uh, shopping centres and stuff having a cigarette. So even though they're saying this is a generation where, you know, smoking will stop, there's still a hell of a lot of younger people smoking because they still see it as cool. It's something they like to do. It's something they do with their friends. You know, that's how addiction is. It's if it's your peer group. It's being uh, a rebel, I guess. Oh, without a doubt. And, and it, it, you know, it's a habit. You know, it's like we're, we're, we're told to set up habits in our life and make um, and, and do yeah. things every day at certain times, you know, like get out of bed at 7 a.m., have your breakfast, have your shower. It's like that, that's your morning routine. And you know, addiction can become and become as part of the routine. And so it's almost like what we're being taught to do as we grow up, set up our own routines it can be as negative as positive because we just keep repeating what it's good. And we forget too, when we've started taking drugs or alcohol or gaming or gambling or technology or porn addiction, it was fun to begin with. We had yeah. fun. It was yeah. good, you know, and th- that's, that's why we do it. You know, we don't do it because we want to become addicted to it, but then we might also find that the problem that we we're trying to get away from so we could sleep at night because of our, childhood sexual abuse because of our separation anxiety, because in my case, I was adopted. And although I had very loving adopted parents, without a doubt, it's still separation anxiety, being separated from the person that gave birth to you. And you're covering up those issues that, as you said, quite correctly, Dan, you don't even know that you're covering up until actually you try to stop and realize that there is something bigger going on there. Yeah. And that's where we've failed as people of giving this free system with not looking at trauma. You know, trauma is, is massive. And Gabo Mate, who is massive 
overseas and in America, especially with his work in the realm of Hungry Ghosts is his book, but he believes that trauma is always attached to addiction. And for quite some time, I believed him. I thought, yeah, you're right. It's like, no, I don't think that it is all the time. I think it is a lot of the time. Yeah. There can be lots of other reasons. The way people feel about themselves, then they've had an experience on drugs, say, or with alcohol, which is probably the most common, and they've been told that they were funny, that they were hilarious, Yeah. you know, but they were just actually incoherent and it was funny, not yeah. actually funny, funny, you know, funny that in a horrible sick sense, if you like. And, and also there, if you're someone who suffers from self-confidence, low self-esteem, and then people are telling you, oh, you were really funny the other night. We had a great time with you. And usually you're like the wallflower at work who doesn't speak to many people, doesn't socialise. Of course, it's going to make you go, well, if having those few drinks, I lost my inhibitions and I was a lot nicer and people really like me, then next time you go out, you're going to drink again. And then gradually over time, the drink that you have once in a blue moon is once a week, once a night. Um, you know, I, I have a friend that I've spoken to recently who said that she used to be on some prescription medication for her mental health issues. And then her psychiatrist said to her, look, I think we're going to come off those. And so weaned her off. But then even though she said, look, I'm not coping very well with that, said, well, I don't think we should go back on them. So she started having a glass of vodka a night. And before she knew it, she was drinking a bottle a night. And she mm -hmm. said, I didn't even realise until I went to another specialist. And they said, do you know you're yellow? And she went, no. And they said, you're really ill. And she said, then I was put into hospital and I had an alcohol problem. She said, mm -hmm. but I started that because I was taken off the other medication that was working for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes... We, we transfer from one thing to the other because we need something. And I guess, look, I've had, I've told you and I've told the listeners before, I, I've got fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. And in those early years, all I wanted was something that could help me get out of bed and be able to perform my work. And look, I was put on uh, dexamphetamine, which is like a, a speed that the doctor prescribes. I was allowed to take up to four tablets a day. When I was first sick with the chronic fatigue, I did take the four a day and then I gradually weaned it down. And now I think I've still got a bottle and a half at home that I haven't had in years because I didn't want to become addicted to it because I knew how addictive it could be. And yet those days when I took it, I could fly around it was there was no chronic fatigue but mm. i could have been one of the people that went i need to take this the rest of my life and that way the dose would have had to keep being increased but for me i actually got to the point where i didn't like feeling like that anymore i wanted to calm down i wanted to find what my natural rhythm was again that's a beautiful thing and unfortunately for a lot of people that doesn't come till later in life to feel normal or not to feel elevated like that. And for other people, they love feeling elevated. And we can look at, say, some some of the mental health diagnoses, but, you know, at the end of the day, a mental health diagnosis is done by answering questions on a form, and we can get into a whole topic about that. You know, so everyone has depression, everyone has anxiety. It's just a matter of the levels that you feel it's at. But when we, even we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, for sure, it's definitely a condition, but it varies in different people. And to have any medication that works on a stress hormone to make us feel better or for us to not feel, as in the case of many antidepressants, that's not something that you want to be on for long term because every other part of your life starts to suffer. Um, your sex life suffers because you, your libido is very low. Your partner, even though they might know you're on this medication, if you used to love being intimate, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, but over a period of time, you stop being, they don't feel very loved. 
you know, and we can look at all different ways that, oh, they should understand or whatever. But at the end of the day, that's why people are together in an intimate relationship. Yeah. And and if that can't happen or if that doesn't happen, that's not good. And when there are other ways to look at it and to and to view it, it, it's fantastic, such as the assistance dogs that one of my friends around the corner has. Uh, Rosie Rose is a beautiful golden retriever, beautiful dog when she's working and when she's not working. I, I can play with her when she's not working. But having those instead of copious amounts of medication are wonderful because when my friend Dale is out, he's got Rosie Rose with him. And so the anxiety and the the stress isn't there because Rosie's there and yeah. he's going to look after Rosie. And he's an ex-cop who was in Afghanistan too, you know, and all of the horrible scenes that that I can't even talk about because I, I've never been there just from what I hear and what we see, I suppose, in terms of on, on the news, absolutely disastrous, absolutely horrific, absolutely scary to hear something such as a firecracker going off that for Dale, when that goes off in the street or for New Year's Eve, you know, if he's in bed, he like, because he thinks it's a gun going off, somebody about to be blown up. It's just, it's horrible. And yeah, so to get off medication and find better ways or reducing your medication and taking on therapy as well. So you've got someone to talk to, someone that you can bring your thoughts and your emotions out with and you know, learn to be better at doing that so you can go back to living a better life, I think is much better. What you're saying there, different therapies and uh, different ways of coping are brilliant. I remember when I was sick years ago, one of the hospitals, it was a pain clinic. Yes. And it was to make sure that people weren't abusing pain medication. Now, for me, I'm in a position where if I take half a panadine fort, which is relatively strong, I'm asleep for a few hours afterwards. So for me, anything I take that's going to work for the pain is going to put me to sleep. So for me, I usually only take it if I'm in a lot of pain and I'm going to bed. So I know I get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. But when they said that, I said, look, I don't take much anyway. And they said, no, but we need to make sure that people aren't abusing pain medication. And I went for two sessions and then I realized who they were talking about. People with fibromyalgia who are in constant pain, who are on all these different medications. And it's surprising that they aren't addicted or maybe they were addicted. But from the get-go, I if something didn't work for me in a couple of weeks, I came off it because I said, I'm not going to take something that's not going to help, but is going to slow my brain down or slow me down. But there were lots of people there that spent their life in bed and went to the pain clinic. Someone took them in in a wheelchair. It, we're all different, aren't we? But I, I found with fibromyalgia over the years, there are a lot of people who are probably on more medication than they should be because they've got pain and doctors have just kept giving more medication rather than looking at other ways of helping. I mean, I get pain every day, but if you saw me out in the street shopping, if you saw me in the studio, you wouldn't think I had any pain. I don't tell anyone about what pain I have. I deal with it and I've learned to think my way through it. And I'm not saying everybody with fibromyalgia can do that because I know some people are in a lot more pain than me, but it's learning to manage yourself without relying on a lot of medications. Oh, without a doubt. And it's so perfect what you've just said there, Dan, because everyone's different and the level of pain that you can manage or you can control is different from somebody else's. And that's why we can't just have a blanket response to we just give out medication and just up the medication and add to it there's much better checks in place these days, but that you go to other doctors and get more of the same. And then it just means that you've got an addiction to something that's not actually helping you or is, but it's very hard to get. 
or we get to the stage that they're in in America now with oxycodone, yes. uh, which is so rampant across America. I think it's rampant across the whole world, actually. Right. But in America now, they're finding that there was a documentary recently, I can't remember what it's called, but they were saying that in this town of about 25,000, it was only the priest or vicar in uh, in the church and two other people in the town that weren't addicted to oxycodone. The police chief was, lawyers were, because it was just given out and it was actually marketed in a way that this will fix everything. And they were really clever with their advertising. If you haven't seen the documentaries on oxycodone, guys, I, I suggest you go and watch them because the way that that company marketed themselves and got over hurdles that most medications wouldn't get across, mm. they were really clever at marketing something that has become a worldwide epidemic. And I still think there are people out there. I know my mum takes it for chronic back pain. She's on a very small dose. She's never increased. She says, look, I can put up with that little bit of pain. But there are other people who go back and say, oh, I've got a little bit more pain. The doctor says, okay, well, up your script. At one point, I think they were selling 180 milligram tablets, which they said it would kill most people. Mm, just because the tolerance that they've built up by having it for so long. And- yeah, I mean, they were taking yeah. 20, 30, 40 tablets a day. Yeah, yeah. No, I do know a bit about oxys. They were back in the day when, they used to be whacked up, which was terrible because anything that's a tablet that we try and dissolve to put into a needle to put into our blood is is just it's horrible. It's terrible. It's shocking. It's all of those things because, you know, it, it might not be the drug, but just the fact that, you know, it's not it's not liquid and it's in your bloodstream, it, yeah, you're going to die, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I think after that there was an Indian guy in America who created fentanyl in a mouth spray. And I think he's been arrested and jailed because of the way he marketed it. It was supposed to be for end of life cancer. And it turned out that he was saying it was good for headaches. It was good for backache. And and the dose that people were having was causing overdosing. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And fentanyl being added to lots of drugs that in America, but also that have come across to Australia, uh, to the UK as well, especially in, in ecstasy, in heroin, because they don't have to put as much heroin into it, and basically an opiate. So, yeah, lots of shocking examples with fentanyl. Uh, even at a local rave party that they had in Warrigal a couple of years ago, I was doing Uber driving back then, um, <laughs> just for on the weekends, and there were lots of people going from Warrigal back to Melbourne because they were freaked out. There was lots of drug use going on um, with fentanyl, added and then just people passing out basically. So look, Mike, I think we've actually covered quite a lot of stuff around alcohol and drug addiction, about all different types of things. It's been a really interesting conversation. But what I would like to ask you now is just give us a couple of examples of maybe a couple of people that you've worked with and how you've been able to help them. You don't have to give us their names, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, just so that we get an idea of how you've helped. I read a couple of your testimonials, I think yesterday, about two people who had got off of ice, methamphetamine. Um, and it was really interesting. I know you changed their names on there too. But just to hear those sort of stories and what you're doing. So maybe just tell us a little bit about how you've helped someone with ice. Yeah, definitely. Ice has been a big one that we've been working with lots of people with that because a lot of what they're hearing, a lot of the free information that's out there, and there is a lot, hasn't been helping them to the level that they need because it is really going back to a lot of childhood trauma that 
that we have obviously talked a little bit about, but also how they feel about themselves and also just the the simple fact of trying to fit in, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. And and really with a lot of the ice addiction too, it's been boredom. You know, we forget with addiction that people come together to score. And when they all get together to score, it's it's a race to get you to get your drugs. It's a race to get whatever the addiction is. Yeah. And you know, that that goes out the window. And so it's helping people to recreate a life that doesn't kind of have that in it. And with ice, there's nothing on the market in terms of a pharmaceutical to stop people from taking ice. But then again, there's not really anything to do that for any drug or alcohol. You know, there's ways to help much more with alcohol and benzodiazepines, yeah. um, but nothing for, for methamphetamines such as ice, speed, MDMA. And so with that, it comes down to helping you to realign your life I bring in a lot of personal development, a lot of life coaching. That's that's the essence of what we do. And it's really from listening to the clients about their story and giving them that opportunity to really talk about what's happened for them, you know, why they use, when it started, what was going on, how they feel about themselves, more so than ever, Dan, right now with when we've talked positively about Instagram and social media, but it's such a negative tool in the toolkit of life. If we don't feel good about ourselves to start out with, you're almost guaranteed to come out feeling not as good about yourself if you've gone in there feeling half-hearted about yourself. And it seems horrible to say they make so much money. There are so many different filters we can put on to make ourselves look amazing to feel amazing, to sound amazing, put music with it. That's the top tune of the day or whatever, but it's, it's not helping people and it's making people feel even more than ever that they're not enough, that they have to do more. And everybody is enough the way they are, the way that they have always been. And by having drugs and alcohol and porn addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction, gaming addictions, it just takes you away from society and you're doing things by yourself or with a select crew of people who become your everything yeah. and they really you're nothing because as soon as you stop using, you're not going to have that, that group anymore. So it's about trying to reestablish your life. What is it you wanted when you were a child? This is a really big part of it. We all have dreams as children. doesn't matter what background we've had. We've always had that dream that maybe we haven't told anybody that what we wanted to do with our life. Well, Everyone has the opportunity to do whatever they want to do. It's just about being able to align themselves with those correct people. And the positive of social media is such as LinkedIn is those people can be met. They can be connected with. And sometimes, you know, with people not feeling confident in themselves, that's a really hard thing to do. It's easier said than done. So sometimes it's helping people to actually get those forms to, you know, make some phone calls to, to, to help them to help themselves because it's all right. So you need to go and get yourself clean, but what happens after you're clean? How do you stay clean? How do you set your life up? That's the important stuff that we work with. I work with at MC Counselling. So it's addiction, it's mental health counselling. I've worked with ice, I've worked with marijuana or pot, alcohol, heroin, MDMA, 
pretty much all of the drugs, as well as porn addictions, sex addiction, uh, lots of gambling as well. The gambling seems to go with a, a drug of choice as well. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of the time and when people are high, they're wasting lots and lots of money. But it really, all addiction comes down to the way you feel about yourself because Really, if you felt good about yourself, if you loved yourself, you wouldn't throw all that money down the toilet for drugs. You wouldn't be gambling your house away. So if we can recreate the sense of self and if it never existed, create the sense of self that you are enough and you always have been enough to help people to work out strategies for them to be able to believe that more than anything. Yeah. That's the essence of how we work at MC Counseling. Beautiful. So well said. I actually like that you added in that some people get caught up in addiction through boredom. It's something that we don't always think about, someone just being bored. And and it could be sitting around with a few friends and someone says, hey, I tried this today. It's pretty good. It made me feel a bit better. Do you want some? And they're just going, yeah, okay, I'll try it. You know, because they're bored, they, they want a bit of a rush. And also with the gambling and I guess porn addiction, once you're addicted to drugs and you're on that high, then you think you can do anything. I know people in the past that I've spoken to about cocaine, they say, oh, when I'm on that, I can, I can just do anything. I'm brilliant at my job. And I think we touched on this in the live is that their perception is they're brilliant. Well, no, we said it earlier today with the person who was drinking. So their perception is they're brilliant, but in actual fact, they're probably people are looking at them going, who's this crazy person, you know, mm. because they're not making much sense. They think they're really good, but they're not doing what they need to. And I guess, you know, it gives you that bravado, makes you feel better about yourself that you can tackle a lot of stuff. We've covered a lot of stuff here today, uh, Mike. It's been brilliant. <laughs> Where can people find you? Definitely. mccounseling.com. You can give me a call on 0488-HELP-ME, literally. So it's 488 Four three five seven six three. Of course, international just added a plus six one before that. And of course, on Instagram, where Dan and I both met, that's at MC Counseling with two L's on Instagram, and also Mike Carroll Counseling on Facebook. But if you basically just put Mike Carroll Counseling into Google, you'll get about three pages of me. <laughs> Good. Wow, that's all right. So I also want to say to people that we touched on a little bit in this conversation about how you were adopted and you loved your new family, but you still had that trauma of separation. You're actually going to come back, say, in about three to four weeks, and we're actually going to talk about your story, aren't we? Yeah, that'll be exciting, I hope. It is. If people want to go and listen to it now, it's on the live at uh, what's my Instagram? Life underscore changes you underscore podcast. And you can look at the videos there. Otherwise, you can go to YouTube where I reproduce the ones I do on Instagram and that's Life Changes You. That's all it's called on YouTube, but you can watch them there. A lot of people are now going onto the YouTube channel and watching them. If you want to be a patron of the show, go to patron, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and subscribe, become a patron. I've got a few patrons now and it's good that people are supporting me. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, doesn't it, Mike, to put together podcasts and updates on Instagram and everything else. It becomes more than a full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's true. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for the opportunity again, Dan. Always good to talk to you. Oh, look, it was brilliant, Mike. And as I said to you, when we did the live, we didn't know that much about each other. We chatted here and there. um, And your story really hit me when I heard it and the way you just opened up explained everything that had happened and we were in a live environment where there was about, I don't know, 50 to 100 people listening in and they all felt what you were talking about because I remember all the emojis coming up 
of sometimes a few tears, sometimes laughing, people saying, wow, I love you, Mikey, you're inspirational, Mikey. And I know it's usually hard for us to accept praise, stuff like that. But, yeah, what you've been through, I mean, when people hear your story, they'll they'll understand what I mean, which was around March the 20th. I don't have the exact date, but uh, you'll see the title, Mike and Daniel Speak, and uh, you can see us having a good chat. I think we spoke for about an hour and 20 minutes, so it was quite quite full on. And we had loads of comments from loads of people. It was amazing. Oh, it was lots of fun. It was definitely definitely a highlight of my Instagram life as well oh, as my fantastic. life. <laughs> <laughs> but to get to where you are now, mate, you are a very, very inspirational person. You know, I had no idea when we first connected. I didn't think, oh, this is someone I could have for a podcast. It's just mm. we talked in the live and... Yeah, mate, you're one of the brilliant people I've met. So I'm really proud to know you and really pleased that we've become friends outside of podcasting and Instagram as well. Definitely. I have totally agree and I really appreciate those sentiments. Thank you so much, Dan. No worries, mate. So that's Mikey, Mike Carroll, MC Counselling. You can Google his name and you'll get three pages of his information. (laughs) All right, well, thanks, Mike. It was great to speak to you. You have a great night. Same to you too. Thank you, Dan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.